0: tonight. If you have your Bible, let's open up to Luke 2, verses 13 through 14. I'm also going to be reading uh, Isaiah 9.6. That's Luke 2, 13 through 14, and Isaiah 9.6. Back in the 1970s, I can remember as a child around Christmas time, Coke would always put out these ads, and some of you may have heard this, this jingle before, and it had all these Teenagers, And they were all flower children looking folks. They're all on a hill. They're looking peaceful and everything. And there's this song, this jingle comes up. It says, I like to buy the world a Coke and furnish it with love. And grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I like to buy the world a Coke. And keep it company. That's the real thing. And the whole idea when they would play this thing was like, Oh, this is peaceful. Everyone, They had people from every nation and nationality. And it was like a kumbaya moment. I did some research and found that the whole origin of this nice song and jingle was anything except for peace at the beginning. The idea originally came to Bill Backer, who's an advertising exec working for McCann Erickson. That was the uh, agency responsible for Coca-Cola's advertising. And so he and a bunch of others were delayed around Christmas time at Shannon Airport in Ireland. It was a forced layover, and there were all kinds of people with hot tempers there. And they noticed that the next morning... Many travelers were joking while drinking Coke, and they said, oh, this is an idea. And he wrote down on a little napkin, I'd like to buy the world a Coke. He got with some songwriters, and by February 2nd, 1971, they released this ad. And and there have been subsequent years where they redid it, and they released the same thing, same song. Some of you guys were ready to sing it. I don't sing that great, so I wasn't going to sing it with you. But in your mind, you were singing that song. You had the picture of all those people holding hands and drinking a Coke and everything, you know. Now, here's the interesting thing. The world in 1971, especially in Ireland, was anything but a peaceful place. It was anything but peace and harmony going on. In Ireland alone, the IRA was running rampant, killing police, killing military, killing people left and right. And they are I mean, blowing things up. No shame. Any any place, any time they were down for the fight. There were riots in Wilmington, North Carolina. The U.S. was embroiled in the Vietnamese War. At this time, the first gay-themed episode broadcast on all in the family. There was a quake in Santa, San Fernando Valley that killed 64 people and over, caused over half of a billion dollars in damage. On this, During 1971, the U.N. proclaimed Earth Day and has continued to do that ever since. Doctors in Arnhelm, Netherlands, started performing abortions. 117 people were killed by tornadoes in Mississippi and uh, Louisiana. In India and Pakistan were embroiled in a war over Bangladesh. In India that year, one tsunami, one, killed 10,000 people. Idi Amin took control of Uganda. He was a notorious despot. He was also rumored to be a cannibal, someone who eats other people, not cool. All these events show that there was anything but peace and harmony occurring in 1971. Because how many know it takes more than buying somebody a Coke to make peace? It takes Jesus Christ because he's the only real thing. And that's what I want to preach about tonight is Christmas, a time for peace. I know Christmas was yesterday, but this is a Christmas-themed sermon. And so I'm going to go with that out of Luke chapter 2, verses uh, 13 and 14, and suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Now that's the New King James Version. We're going to look at that in a couple of the versions a little bit later on for a specific reason. Isaiah 9, 6 says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon shoulder. his shoulders, name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of peace. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would touch hearts, Father God, Lord, that you are Lord Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. And I pray that your peace would rest here, that you would convict the lost, save them, God, that you would move mightily upon your people, God. You came to bring us peace. We want to have peace with you and be Lord ambassador of peace for you. In Jesus' name, we thank you, God. Amen. First thing I want to look at is the problem of with peace. And what I mean by that is around Christmas time, this season especially, people read that verse, they hear their Christmas story, and they think uh, peace in a certain way, a certain uh, thing. And many times it is not what the Bible is talking about as peace. People think, oh, peace, harmony among all men, no wars. It means tolerating everything, regardless of what the differences are. It's a kumbaya moment. And now listen, there is a proper uh, definition and, and measure of tolerance, but the world doesn't think that way. This is where we get phrases, oh, to each his own, or, hey, you do you. You can be the foulest person, have the nastiest ideas in your heart. Oh, you do you. Peace. No, 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 no. There's certain things you should not make peace with. Can you say amen? See, the problem is, the idea, this idea of peace, it ignores sin as the prime reason for strife. Oh, let me sin and don't say anything about it, right? Let me do evil but feel good about it. That's why people many times come to church around Christmas time. They are, they may sometimes they're convicted, praise God they get saved, but many times they'll come in on some special holiday and they'll put all their faith in a special day. Oh, I'm doing bad and feeling bad, and if I just do this religious thing and I feel good about myself, well, that's enough. But there's no change, and they have no peace with God. That's not the peace that our text is talking about. It's not talking about a false sensation or feeling of peace. Listen, you know when the world's really going to have peace? When we're gone. And even then, the Bible speaks of it being a false peace, a lying peace. It's going to be peace under a despot named the Antichrist. The Bible says in Revelation that, that, that there's going to be people that are saved, that are saved during the year, the 144,000 male virgin Jews, and they're preaching, and it says they're tormenting the world. So if we get rid of these guys, we'll have peace. Because everyone will be brainwashed, for real, following the devil. That's not peace. Now, the Bible speaks about true peace. Jesus Christ, who's one of his titles, is the Prince of Peace. See, Jesus came to establish a real peace. Peace. One of God's names out of the Old Testament is Jehovah Shalom. The God that it says, it literally, God is peace. In Judges 6.24, Gideon makes an altar to the Lord and then called it there, the Lord is peace. Jesus came and he established this pact of peace, the new covenant, with his own blood. As pastor preached masterfully this morning in Isaiah 9.6, where it talks about Jesus being the peace, the prince of peace. What it's talking about is that that we can have that peace if we will surrender to God. It talks about the future reign of Jesus, where there will be real peace then, peace with God. A man, Barnes, talks about this in his commentary, that the gospel is what will bring peace. The world, how many know, is at war with God? There are people here, if you're not saved, you are at war with God. You're an enemy of God. That's what the Bible says. I'm going to look at that a little bit. You might not think you are, but if you're not surrendered to God, if you're not saved, then you are on Satan's team and you're working against God. And that's why you don't feel comfortable here. That's the truth. Listen, I don't have time to, to soft coat it, to sugar coat it. Listen, if you're at war with God, the answer is to surrender to Him you'll have an opportunity today to do that because He loves you. Amen? As sinners, we are an enemy of God, our Maker, and there is no peace for the wicked. So stop trying to find it and all these other things. Just come to Jesus. It's that simple. Jesus made peace by reconciling the world to God by His atonement. By bringing the sinner, that's you and I, to a state of peace with Him. To lay down the weapons of rebellion, to submit your soul to God, that gives peace that surpasses all understanding. By diffusing into the heart the universal goodwill to everybody, this is what causes people to lay aside their differences and love. You know, you can't legislate people having peace with others. You can't make a law, I don't care what your title is, saying, okay, you better be good to those people, because you can't control what's in someone's heart. You can't do that. We as a church, we can't make people do anything. I wish my pastor sometimes wishes he could make people do stuff. Be a lot easier in counseling and things that go great. But we're not robots. We all have our own ideas about things, our own uh, wills, our own desires. Many times they're wrong. We have to be convinced through preaching, through prayer, through counseling to do right. Amen. Jesus' peace. It would, that is what caused us to love one another, to seek each other's welfare, to banish envy and malice and strife and pride and lust and covetousness. If you examine every age and any generation, all those things I mentioned, that's what causes strife and problems and breaks peace, is all those things. Jesus, if the gospel, think of this, if the gospel were preached everywhere and the people who heard it actually did what the gospel said to do, how different would that world be? A lot more powerful than a Coca-Cola. Can you say amen? There was a, I think it was in the 1950s, may have been earlier. I read it as a comic book as a sinner kid. And it was a nice idea, but I never really gave it much thought to what it entailed, called In His Steps. And it actually talked about what if... All those people who said they were Christians lived every day as if they were really Christians. What would the world be like? What would the church be like? And it was amazing the things they gave. Them. It was very convicting to me as a sinner, and, but I felt hopeless and realized that, okay, I didn't want to give my life to Jesus, so that was, that was kind of like a nice fairy tale. But listen, what if we did that? Think of how powerful, think of what this city could be if we would do that. When it talks about in this verse in Isaiah, it's projecting prophetically when Jesus will be ruling the world. Where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Then there will be peace. The second thing I want to look at is true peace. And this is the proper definition of peace. In, as I said before, there's different translations. In the New King James and King James, the English translators, they didn't quite get the phrase right. When you read it, it sounds so warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? Right? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Oh, that's so nice. Let's hold hands. Let's have a Coke and sing Yeah, we're all different. We hate each other. But if we just do this, well, that's not a good translation. Because the meaning of it is this. Out of the ESV version, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. That's a big difference than just goodwill to men. Of course God wants goodwill to men. But that's a far cry from him being pleased, and those are the ones who have the peace. In NIV it says, peace to those on whom his favor rests. His favor doesn't rest on the lost, because they're not in right relationship with him. In the Amplified Version it says, peace among men with whom he is well pleased. You're wondering today, maybe why you're not experiencing all the peace you desire, maybe this is where you need to ask yourself, is God pleased with you? Now, none of us are perfect. I understand that. But there's times in our lives. You think back to me when you're in your parents' house, and when you're giving your parents trouble, right? And how many of them said this to you? I love you. I just don't like what you're doing or how you're acting. I love you, but I don't like what you're saying or how you're saying it. Now, we, in our our immaturity, immediately translate. you hate me. No. It didn't matter how much your parent says it either. Listen, I've been there. I had teenagers too, okay? We had to say that so many, listen, I love you, but I don't love your behavior. I love you, but I don't like you a whole lot right now. Amen? I wonder if God does that sometimes. I love you, gave my son for you, but ooh. Pastor Mitchell, we could wipe these folks out and we start up. No, 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 no. (laughs) You guys aren't that He said it to Moses. Now, again, and this shows how warped the world doesn't, and how the world doesn't understand peace. The current day Merriam-Webster's definition defines peace as this. Absence of war, conflict, or a state of tranquility or quiet. In other words, let's all have a Coke, sing Kumbaya, hold our hands, and feel good about each other, right? The biblical definition in the Old and New Testament is very different. In Hebrew, the word is shalom. we probably heard of that. That's actually a greeting that they give each other, Jewish people, shalom, whether they mean it or not. It actually means completeness, wholeness, soundness, without lack or deficiency, a complete welfare. Not the idea that the U.S. government has welfare. It's used over 237 times. The first use is when God speaks to Abraham in Genesis 15, 15. And he says, now is for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. So he's giving Abraham a promise of peace because obviously Abraham was justified by his righteousness and faith in God. But how many people, they seek that. They seek that peace, but they never find it. They seek it in the world. Let's be honest. You and I have sought that, tormented ourselves, going from one thing to another thing to another thing and never find it. And then leave this life. And they don't leave it like Abraham, full and blessed and peaceful and at rest. But they leave it with regrets because they never found that peace with God. They never found that peace with others. And they leave wishing something Wishing they had the power and the time to do something, and they can't anymore. In the New Testament, the word for peace in the Greek is irene, and it means one, or, or wholeness, one, singleness, peace, quietness, rest. It's from the verb uh, Iro which means to joy or tie or mend together. It, it's the idea is that you had two separate things that were once together, they were once a complete unit, and you're putting them back together and making them one again. That's what Jesus did when he reconciled us. We should have been with God. We were. Adam and Eve were right with God. They sinned. We choose a sin, right? And so now we need to be reconciled. We need to be made one with God again. But listen, that doesn't come by us demanding God to think our way. Demanding God to let us have our way. That's not how it is, beloved. It's when we say, God, I'll surrender to your way. Because my way is messed up. It's used 91 times. The first use of it is in Matthew 10:13. It says, if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Jesus is talking about that in a context. Remember, he sends out the 72 by 2 to witness, right? And he says, hey, if they reject you, don't give them God's peace. Because they're rejecting God also. Listen, peace with God is impossible when you're not his. And when you're not completely surrendered to him. When you're not pleasing to him. I was uh, here on the platform. I was um, just had a thought that came to me. And I want to help you. Listen, some here. The reason that you're experiencing conflict in your life is because you're wavering between two decisions. You're wavering between what the will of God is that you know. You might pretend or act like you don't know it. But let's be honest. God has spoken to you about it several times. And you've been putting him off, putting him off, putting him off putting him off. He's spoken to you in sermons. He's spoken to you in his word. He's spoken to you in that still small voice. He's spoken to you even by friends saying something, and it pricks something in your heart, and you've had no peace about it. it Satan has capitalized on it to try to get you to confuse the issue and cloud the issue over, but the reason is, and the reason you won't really have peace is until you surrender to God and do his will. You might say no, and the Holy Spirit will be quiet for that moment, but he will come back repeatedly until he gets sick of you, and then he's going to be quiet about that thing. And that's not a good place to be. So whatever that is, and if that's you, you need to settle it with God tonight. Tonight. Don't, don't put this, don't kick the can down the road. I'll deal with this later. What if you don't have later? Deal with it now. Whoever that is, that's for you. just want to help you out. Listen, if you want to please God, you have to have peace with God. The life of a sinner does not please him or give him good pleasure. Again, how crazy is it that we we think, hey, I'm doing evil. I'm living for the devil, but I want to feel good with God. I want to be able to come to a church, and I want to hear preaching that doesn't challenge me preaching that doesn't make me sad or angry or bitter or upset or makes me just want to get out of there as quick as I can. That's insane. You're not right with God, but you want to feel like you're right with God. That's deception, friend. You you want to live a lie. And God is not going to go with your program. He's not going to go with your plan because he is truth. C.S. Lewis once said, now this is Obviously, he didn't understand technology. He probably said this in the 1950s. A car is made to run on gas, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is a fuel our spirits were designed to burn. Or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it's no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about faith. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it, it is just not there. There's no such thing. You are made to please and serve God, and that is the only time you'll have peace is when you're really doing that. Amen? I want to look at this having peace in a storm because you can have peace in the midst of trials. Again, the world's definition is that everything's hunky dory fine and you have no problems in life. That's peace. No, that's your dead. And only if you're saved, then, because then you're in heaven. Because if you're dead in your sin, your problems have just started. And there is no solution after that. There is no uh, uh, reincarnation. There is no getting a second chance. You're not going to come back as a worm, to come back as a badger, to come back as a human being. That's a lie. Luke 8 23 through 25 says this But as they sailed, he fell asleep, meaning Jesus. And a windstorm came up down on the lake. They were filling with water. The boat was filling with water, and they were in jeopardy. They came to him, awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. Then he arose, rebuked the wind, the raging water. They, they ceased, and there was calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? He commands the winds and water, and they obey him. Listen, peace is not a life free of responsibilities. Peace is not a problem problem-free life. Peace is this, that when you're in the storm as the disciples were and Jesus' presence is in your life, when you're doing the will of God and the devil resists you, and yet God is with you, you have the mind of God, you have the presence of God, you're doing the will of God, and you're in the safest place. And in that place, you have dominion. You know, circumstances externally may not change immediately just because you pray once and ask for him to do that. But you can have dominion because of God's presence in your life and in your mind and in your home. But you have to establish that. It doesn't come in pill form. It doesn't come by pastor praying one prayer for you and that's it. okay? Because we are involved in that. It comes with faith. You have to choose to believe God. If you're not choosing to believe God, you probably don't have peace. Listen, think of this. This is encouraging to me. We don't know the details of the future, do we? We know signposts that God gives us, but we don't know the fine print. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but we serve a God who does. The Bible says that our lives are in his hand. Our times, the generation, all the events that are going on in our lives, corporately and individually, God has in his hand. That's how small they are. Not unimportant to him, but they're big to us, aren't they? The decisions that weigh upon us, the responsibilities that weigh upon us, the things we're concerned with that, that want to take away the peace of God. And yet God looks out and goes, I got this covered. I got gotcha. you. No problem. But we freak out. I don't know what's going on. God says, I know exactly what's going on. I know exactly what's going to happen. And if you make this decision as a bonehead decision, I still know what's going to happen. And when you make that good decision, I know what's going to happen. I know the blessing that's going to occur. I know how people are going to be touched because our lives are in his hand. If you choose to put your life in his hand. Again, that's conditional on you. But we serve a God who knows. You know, there's a song we used to sing, an old song that Gaithers wrote, Because He Lives. And the lyrics of the chorus go like this. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living because he lives. We serve a God who's alive. That's something we should be excited about. Amen? He died and resurrected so we could have peace, true peace in our lives. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives you, I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled and neither be afraid. Now, the context of this is interesting. This is, at the last, this is after the Last Supper after, actually. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He did the thing with, hey, whoever dips with me is a traitor. Judas, go do your own thing. All that. And he's explaining to the disciples the downer part of his calling. That, hey, he is going to be arrested. Yeah, he's not going to set up a kingdom on this earth so they can be partners with him and rule and say ha 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 to the Pharisees. No, that's not going to happen. He's going to be crucified. He is going to die. He is going to resurrect. He begins imparting to them that that was the whole reason he came. He begins imparting to them about the truth of God revealed in him and their relationship with God. He begins to teach them a bit on answered prayer and about the Holy Spirit and the gift of peace that comes with the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's the context of when Jesus says, My peace I give to you, not this world's peace. Listen, some of you have been settling for the world's idea of peace. Don't do that anymore. Don't do that anymore. The last thing I want to look at is peace with God and man. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.13, But now Jesus Christ is in you who are once afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then finally, Romans 5.10 for when, if we were, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through faith of His Son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His faith. Listen, Jesus Christ died when we were enemies with Him. The Bible says that where we were yet without strength and we could not save ourselves, and we could not do anything, Christ died for the ungodly. We don't, like, we don't like to think of ourselves as enemies with God, do we? Right? How many of you, when you were unsaved, you said, yes, that's me. That's right, I'm Dion Howard, enemy of God. You never introduce yourself with people as that, right? Hello, Deon Howard, enemy of God. How can I help you? No, because we never thought that. We thought we are okay people. The Bible says, no, no, you weren't. No, you weren't. You're putting on the gloves against me, and you're going to lose. And that's why I had to come and die for you. Jesus purchased our peace. He, he did that so we, he could turn enemies into allies. But to have peace with God, there's a couple of aspects and features I want to look at. One is obedience. Oh, we hate that word, don't we? We hate that word. Even as adults, we hate that. Let's be honest. You know? God, sometimes God, that's all God has to whisper to Joseph. Obey me. Let's stop. Stop with your. You asked me for all this stuff, but how about you just you, you want me to talk to you? Obey. Right? What would you do? How would you do with your kid if they want to give you an argument and talk about all this other stuff, but they don't want to obey? You wouldn't take that, would you? But God is graceful. One man said, peace is the deliberate adjustment of our lives to the will of God. In other words, you adjust your life. You don't demand God adjust His way. You have to adjust your will and choose to obey God. You have to reschedule things in your life. You have to Reprioritize things. You know, if you look at the Apostle Paul, he didn't lead the easiest of lives, did he? Shipwrecked, rejected, beaten—all these things after his conversion. And yet, he, whatever circumstance he found himself in, you couldn't deny that this was a man who surrendered himself to the will of God. That he had peace with God. That he obeyed God. Can you say the same? And if you can't, why can't you? Don't ignore that anymore. Don't ignore that anymore. You need to address this. Why, if, why if you are a believer, don't have peace with God? You need to really face that and, and look up to that. Listen, because God is not the one who caused the problem, it's you and I. The other thing is we need to have peace with each other. Biblical peace is not something we can create on our own, it is a fruit of the Spirit. And God is a source of peace. In Galatians five, twenty-two through twenty-three he talks about the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace is one of those fruits. It starts in seed form and has to grow. It grows as you choose to be a peacemaker, as you choose to visit God's peace on others. In Ephesians 4, 1-3, through 3, Paul writes, he says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all loneliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring. That means purposely trying, not accidentally doing good deeds, random acts of good deeds, but you purposely plan to do something good, to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of of peace. Peace is being in right relationship in your family and in the church of God. Being in one accord. You read in the book of Acts and pastors spoke about this this morning. Being in one accord, that is having peace. Not doing your own agenda. I'm not going to get involved in that because blah, 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 blah. You ever think when you're doing that, you might be working against what God's trying to do? Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, you are because you're not one accord. You're the lamb going and doing your own thing, and the wolf's out to eat you. Yeah, no, no, that's not me. And the wolf was out there in the, in the tall grass going, oh, that's going to be tasty. But you think you're okay. Listen, there's methods to be at peace and to be a peacemaker. One, surrender your right to be right all the time. How many couples do I know? And every day, it's a contest. I'm right, I'm right, and you insist to be right. You might be right. But you're being right the wrong way. And it's causing a division and strife in your marriage. You know, God's not going to say, oh, good, you were right. Yeah, good, good job there. You, you just made your wife hate you. You just made your husband hate you. You know, you wanna know why he's so quiet? Because you and on being right all the time. Well, bully for you. How about this? Ask forgiveness, even if it's not your own fault. Oh. But they were wrong. They were. Are you trying to make war or make peace? What about extending kindness and mercy to those who don't deserve it? That's part of being a Christian. Listen, that's we ought to be doing that. That ought to be part of who we are. That should be in the fabric of our spiritual DNA. Is to extend mercy, but they don't. No, they don't deserve. But neither do you or I. And yet Jesus did not look on the cross and go, oh, I'm getting off here. Forget that. They don't deserve it. I'm going to go deal with them. It also means simply, don't be a jerk and a troublemaker. I know that might be too lowbrow, but there's something in the human, and I've seen some people like this. It annoys me. I have to get away from them because otherwise I can't visit grace and mercy upon them, who have this evil, wicked Something in them where they like annoying other people. They like making them feel bad and angry and annoying them. I'm not talking about a, a, a slight harmless job. I'm talking about like they live for this thing. It's like, it's like a, a good, well-cooked steak for them. That's their, their, their person salivates to be able to do that. That's wicked. Amen? Don't be a jerk or a troublemaker. The Bible says do what you can to live at peace with all men. That doesn't mean you give in to sin or join in with sin. This is Micah 6, 8, that he has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God? See, finally, we have to have peace with ourselves. Pastor, Pastor just set this whole sermon up this morning for me where I don't have to go into detail. Thank you, Pastor. That was great. At salvation, God makes us anew. And when you're new, you know what, this is a miracle. One of the things uh, when I got saved is I was not at peace with myself to the point where I could not look at myself in the mirror. And it's not because I was a murderer. It wasn't because I had done horrible things externally. But it's because the lies I told myself and others, it was my attitude, it was my pride, it was my arrogance. It was my selfishness. It was all these things. That I, I, I'm serious. There's times I, I, I. It was sins of the mind where I could not look in a mirror at my own because I was so guilty and I had no peace with myself. But when I got saved, I could do that. When I got saved, I could rest at night and not be tormented by guilt and thoughts and fear of death and all these these things that would plague my mind. And you know, before you were saved, you may have been a shattered person, but at salvation, He makes you whole, new, and complete. That's the promise of 2 Corinthians 5.17. You're a new creation, and all things, underline that. When the devil tries to condemn you, underline that. I'll read that back to him and say, hey, devil, how about this one? All things, I'm new, shut up. It says in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. We are in a work in progress. Thank God. God is always working on us to make us new, to renew us, to regenerate us. First Thessalonians 5.23-24, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved. blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and will also do it. Listen, God wants you to have peace with yourself. He wants you to be at peace where you're not tormented. where You, you know, there's so many people on generation where they, they can't just sit and think and be by themselves for any time. They always have to be listening, watching, doing something because they have no peace within themselves. They always have to distract themselves because if they were to sit and think about their life, they fear that. They fear having to admit the truth about things. Listen, God is not into facades. He's not into lies. It's the truth that sets you free. And then you can have peace with yourself. You can have peace with God. You can have peace with others. I'm closing now. You know, the peace of God, again, is different than the peace of the world. Biblical peace and more this is more than an absence of conflict. Amen. It's taking action to restore a broken situation. It's more than a state of inner tranquility where you sit and meditate on your belly button and say some weird noise and hope you come back as a nice worm. It's a state of wholeness and completeness. Again, Pastor preached this morning about Jesus being the Lamb of God. You know, he paid a high price for our peace. It wasn't cheap to reconcile us to God. And that He enlists us into a ministry of reconciliation. Think of that. Before you were saved, we never could do that, and I never would do that. I'll be honest with you. I remember taking a test for some job, one of those uh, employment test things, where you, you know to find out what you might want to do. Somehow came up either social worker or clergy, and I went, "What? You got to be kidding me! What kind of joke is this?" It was because I was really honest, as, even though I was a sinner. Deep down, I kind of not wanted to be a sinner. So it was the ideal thing. I was putting down the test. Unknown to me late years later, God saved me, and here I am preaching. <laughs> God has a sense of humor, yes, I know. What contributes to us being at peace with God? It's when we surrender to his will in all things. And when we do that, he here's the thing. How many of you ever felt, well, I know what again, I know what God's will is but I don't think I'm strong enough to be able to do it. You're not. But that's why we have Jesus, because he gives us the strength. If he tells you to do something, he'll equip you to do it. And it will be something that is outside of you. It may take a supernatural strength. Even if we're weak, he is strong. Especially if we're weak, he is strong. and But we don't have to depend upon our own resources to do the will of God. We're called to be peacemakers. In other words, make peace with other people. Don't give into temptation to to be the author of gossip, or division, or rebellion, or foolish arguments, or being a busybody. I'm just throw this out one for free. If someone doesn't need to have a know doesn't have a need to know about someone else's business, even if it's good, be quiet. Be quiet. But I was just going. They don't need to become your prayer partner. Just be quiet. If they don't have a need to know, be quiet. Don't be a busybody. All right? The shoe fits, wear it. Listen, when you're at peace with God and with others, you can be at peace with yourself. And that is when we see Luke 2.14 manifest. And as the angels proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among whom he is well pleased. God wants to be well pleased with you. That's all I have this evening if we close our eyes by our heads in respect to God and the person sitting next to us.